Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to episode 10 of the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, Pornography, How to Find Freedom from Secrets. I hope you have your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We are talking about book chapter nine today. Well, friends, you made it through last week talking about the most uncomfy topic there is. And here we are again, part two. Today, we are going to take it a step further, but it's going to be okay. You are better prepared to address the realities facing your teens, and we are going to continue this journey together. So hang in there with me. I want to start by re-emphasizing the need to read everything I've written for you in Behind Closed Doors. If you are not engaged in watching pornography, you really can't imagine what's out there. It's not Playboy magazines hiding under the bed in your uncle's house. We are talking violent, degrading, unimaginable genres that literally impact the way your teen's brain is wired. Consider these statistics from the organization Fight the New Drug, which follows the neuroscience of pornography addiction, which, by the way, is fascinating. In a nutshell, pornography impacts our teens' brains much like opiates or other drugs do. If you are watching their brain on neuroimaging, like an MRI, it lights up the same parts of the brain, pornography or drugs, and it releases feel-good chemicals or hormones, and our brain wants to do that again. And after a while, that pathway in our teen's brain becomes entrenched. It becomes familiar. And after a while, the stimulus is not quite the same. So the answer isn't more porn, it's different porn. Now let's go back to the statistics from Fight the New Drug. Most kids today are exposed to porn by age 13, with 84.4% of males and 57% of females ages 14 to 18, having viewed pornography. Now, two important things from these statistics. One, that is a huge number of kids. And two, it's not all boys. There's a common misconception that just boys watch pornography, and that is no longer the case. 
Now, even more concerning, one out of every eight porn titles shown to first-time users on porn site homepages, so maybe they stumble across this by accident, or maybe they open an email link, or maybe they're having a first curious search. That homepage, one in eight titles, describe acts of sexual violence and at least one in three porn videos shows sexual violence or aggression. Now, also something to think about, despite how unrealistic and toxic pornography can be, one in four young adults list pornography as the most helpful source to learn how to have sex. And 53% of boys and 39% of girls believe pornography is, in fact, a realistic depiction of sex. This is where they're learning and think this is how things should be. Research shows that people who consume pornography tend to be less satisfied in their relationships, less committed to their partner, and more accepting of cheating. This is because we're caught in a digital unreality of how relationships are. And especially for teens who have undeveloped brains, this is wiring their preferences for relationship interactions that have intimacy. This means that they are more comfortable with online forums of intimacy rather than in-person interactions. Also concerning, research involving current and former pornography performers suggests that exploitation and human trafficking are common experiences in the pornography industry. And you may or may not know this, but pornography ranks as the third most common form of human trafficking reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So we have people being exploited on both sides of the screen. Pornhub, which is basically social media for pornography, it boasts nearly 42 billion visitors per year. With 50,000 searches per minute and 81 million daily average visits, it's estimated one year of uploads to Pornhub could fill the memory of every smartphone on Earth. That is a lot of unregulated video content. If you really want to know more, you can look at Fight the New Drug's report on most searched terms in porn. I promise you, if you are unaware of the content in today's pornography, you will be absolutely shocked and honestly, probably a little confused. Many are acronyms that you may not know, but you may be surprised to know how many of those acronyms your teen is familiar with. Now, before we start talking about how to respond to your kids, I want to re-emphasize this uncomfy fact. I know, it's so hard to even think about your teen's sexuality, much less talk about it, but you not only should, you must Your teen's bodies absolutely will have a sexual response when they see pornographic materials. 
intentional or unintentional. Parents, we have to lead our teens well in this space of conversation by saying, God created your sexuality. Your body had the right response in the wrong circumstance. You shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed. We have to say those things, parents, because your teen may have seen pornography in the LGBTQIA genre and wondered, my body had a response to that. Does this mean I'm a gay or lesbian or another identification because my body responded? They may even wonder things like, am I still a virgin? I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I've been asked these questions. And if you're uncomfortable talking about this, it is also perfectly okay to help connect them to someone else to talk to. If you're a single dad, maybe it's more comfortable to connect your daughter to another trusted adult, a counselor, a healthcare provider. However you do it, however you lead this, conversation needs to occur in this space. They need to have someone trusted they can go to, and they need to know who that is and have full freedom and encouragement to initiate conversation as well. We said in the last episode that sex is not a secret thing, but it is a sacred thing. When you find yourself in a place that starts creating secrets and sexual expression, that should be a bright red warning signal that something is wrong. Secrets can be incredibly destructive. It usually leads you to tell a little lie. And that lie usually starts with a deception about how you're spending your time. You start to look for time to cultivate your secret in the margins of your schedule. You start to create excuses that have a grain of truth in them. I'll be a little late at the office. I was finishing up a project. I was binge-watching a show. So-and-so needed some help. But you know what is happening in the secret margins of your story? And you start to feel shame. You know you shouldn't do it. But that compulsion is so incredibly strong. And you find yourself saying, just this once, or this will be the last time, I promise. Only it never is. And then you feel worse. Guilt surrounds your heart like a vice, creating distance between you and your loved ones. When people in your life start to approach your heart, that invisible barrier is like a vice grip. They can't see it. They don't know what it is, but they do feel it. And it's very real. Sometimes you can't see them approaching because you're so concentrated on hiding your secret. Distance spreads like a cancer. When you're questioned, you deny it. You accuse them of not trusting you. You deflect. You accuse. You're dying of loneliness and guilt. Whatever the torture you're putting yourself through, it's not as terrifying as your fear of the shame of discovery. In some way, you feel this punishment of relational distance is deserved. And if we're really honest, that little bit of hostility fuels our sense of justification in continuing 
to engage in unhealthy ways of coping, whether that's pornography, drugs, an affair, eating, anything, any unhealthy coping mechanism. We tell ourselves, they just don't understand. How can anyone live under this kind of pressure? And then we enter into this vicious cycle of destruction until we don't even recognize ourselves when we look in the mirror anymore. We plant a seed deep in our souls that says, no one will ever love you if they know what you're doing. That seed grows like a strangling vine until a double life becomes part of our identity. We accept a mantra of shame and we present a facade of increasing perfection and justification to prop up any coping mechanism we have to prevent us from believing the truth we've adopted. And that core truth says, I am worthless. Friends, that is an absolute lie in a self-imposed prison. It will destroy your soul like a cancer. It will decimate your life and rob you of joy. This is the lie our teens believe. If my parents knew what I've done, they can never love me again. No one will ever love me. So listen to this closely. If your teen comes to you and discloses pornography, the primary emotion they are feeling is fear. Fear that you'll never be able to love them. Fear they'll be canceled. Fear of their overwhelming sense of shame. What they need from you in that moment more than anything else is unconditional love. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but parents, listen. The natural consequences of the destruction that occurs from pornography is punishment enough. When your teens make a poor choice, they go against their values, they engage in risk-taking behaviors, or they take other unwise courses of action, they often feel guilty. Guilt is a good thing. It's like touching a hot stove, sending a message to our brains to change our behavior and get out of danger. Shame is a destructive thing. It's like playing propaganda in your brain on a continuous loop, flooding your mind and heart with hopeless messages. Guilt is something we should recognize and embrace in parenting, guiding our teens to harness this impulse to evaluate our behaviors and choices at the first warning sign. Shame is something we should never wield as a weapon to manipulate behavior change or coerce submission. Listen for yourself using these shame-based statements. How could you do this? What were you thinking? I can't believe you are so stupid. This is going to ruin your life. Instead, we need to choose grace-based statements. Like, I know you feel badly about this. This is a tough place to be. Let's work together to find a way to make this right. I know it seems overwhelming, but how can we find hope in this situation? I'm here with you. A conversation key for your teen would be to ask if they've ever felt shamed about something they did. Can you think of a time as a teen when someone showed grace to you 
instead of shaming you? And how did that impact you? When did you have grace instead of shame? Or conversely, when did you have shame when you just wished that there was a way for you to have grace? Have an opportunity to extend grace and find hope in a way forward. That's definitely something to think about and pray about. Well, it's time to welcome back Pastor Brian, pastor of Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in League City. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jessica. Well, today's topic is a continuation of our last episode, and this, we're going to take it a little step further. This is a really tough one that has impacted many, many families. And I think when teens encounter pornography, they are often, I I would say almost always, unprepared. And they feel so much shame with that experience that it's really difficult to come forward. How can parents open the door to grace in this situation? So again, I think this is uh, one of those issues that every one of us as parents are going to face. Uh, I read some statistics this week that every time I read statistics on this issue, it blows my mind, but it said that 28,250 users are watching porn every second in the United States of America, which makes this a public health issue, not just a, uh, not just a spiritual issue, but a public health issue because of all the ramifications. It's said that 90% of teenagers are accepting or neutral when it comes to porn. Isn't that that shocking? Yeah, so that means that only maybe 10% of them would say that this is absolutely wrong. And just to add, so that you know, this this is a very difficult, issue four out of ten pastors admit struggling with pornography wow right so it's pervasive in our culture even among people who would say this is not something that uh that we can embrace as true and right and all that it's it's a it's a definite hidden sin so I think parents can open the door to grace uh, with their kids by talking about it. It seems simple, and uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, almost repetitive, but this is an issue that we have to talk about regularly um, and openly in the context of our own home, because this is a doorway uh, through technology into your family life that is easily opened. And so talking about it and guarding against it, really important. I think you're right. And as people are reading the book and and talking about it, what I'm hearing most about this chapter is I had no idea. I think most parents, if they are not engaged with pornography, they have no idea how much it's changed from when they grew up, when it was a paper, ma- you know, mm-hmm. magazine you carry home from the gas station in a paper bag. Today's pornography is violent and degrading and just 
there are no words to describe the awfulness that it is. And yet it's so normative. So how can we open that conversation to our kids to say, you know, without lecturing and saying, this is wrong, this is evil, this is disgusting, because they're not going to listen to that. How can we open that conversation to talk about how um, you know, just it's our responsibility to look at the people who are being abused through pornography as well without causing that shaming. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting ready to say may, may sound really difficult, but I I see it as the way. Um, so first is as parents, we share our own experiences with pornography. So again, I didn't grow up in an iPhone age, Right. Um, but we did have a neighborhood fort where kids brought their dad's like, stash of pornography and stuck it in the fort. And I remember seeing it for the first time. I remember what I saw, that image is burned in my brain, um, and it impacted me. Um, and sharing that with my own family actually opens the door to have normal conversations. I'm not an, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal higher than you. I know if I grew up in your generation, I would have big problems. I have no doubt. And so for me, that authenticity paves the way for me to have conversations early and often about this particular issue. Um, everything from here's how we're going to guard against it with our devices and why we would do that. And then secondly, if you're struggling with it, you know you can come to me. You do not have to hide. Um, I want to help you if you're struggling with that. I'm not looking to uh, put you in, you know, uh, lock up. Uh, I'm not looking to ground you. I'm looking to help you if you're struggling with, uh, with this issue. And I think taking that stigma away that if my parent finds out the world is going to change, uh, is important and the way that you do that is you be authentic authentic about your own struggle or struggles and then uh real with them about how you would respond if they came to you and then you follow through when they come to you because i i have a feeling it will happen well, that's a really tough thing, I think, for some parents to do because they it's hard to be authentic and to share that struggle because especially with pornography, there's so much secrecy involved. Mm-hmm. And I know and have seen a lot of people who really almost live a double life. Nobody knows that they're doing that. And the burden of that is is tremendous. And so the reality is we have parents listening to this podcast episode right now who regularly watch pornography and they're saying, how in the world can I talk about this to my teen when I'm struggling and I feel so burdened and really eaten alive by this secret I'm carrying? Mm -hmm. We experience the same thing in the microcosm of our church. When we are, uh, we, we have a class that we teach called Purity for Life for parents to help their children walk in biblical purity. And one of the things that always pops in mass is I'm not living a life of biblical purity. And we have to stop and really help them once they understand the definition of that. 
help them make adjustments in their own life. So sometimes that will mean like, hey, I need to go to counseling for a little bit and work through the issues, the why behind this addiction in my life. You know, pornography causes a dopamine release just like uh, just like certain drugs that mm-hmm. that causes addiction. I mean, it's real addiction. Um, and so people need help. They need therapy. They need coaching. And I think parents at this point in time, uh, in in the course of our culture, like it's just um, <laughs> it's just understandable. It might not be right, but it's understandable that a large percentage of parents, adults, are struggling with pornography, and it doesn't have to be that way. There's a way out of pornography, and and. When we take take the journey of walking away from it, it becomes easier to deal with our own children about it. We feel um, inauthentic, requiring them to 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 uh, have filters on their phones or accountability software or whatever if we're not doing those kinds of things themselves. So I'll give you just a great for instance. Uh, like I said, I know my own heart. I know my own mind. So all of our family, we use a software called Covenant Eyes on all of our devices, accountability software. It's not a filter. They can look at whatever they want, but it's going to get reported. But I don't do that to them without subjecting myself to it. So I have Covenant Eyes on all my devices, and the chairman of the elder board at my church gets my report. Someone who has authority influence who cares about me but can hold me accountable and i know that maybe that seems like a fearful thing uh, to parents listening but i think subjecting ourselves to the kind of accountability that we want our children to have is very important it's authentic and uh it guards your own heart as a parent uh, because you're you're not uh, exempt just because you're you're a parent, you're 30 or 40 years old. You're right. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I ask my kids, it's hard to ask your kids, are you watching porn? You know yeah, right. <laughs> I mean? They're hey, mostly going to say hey. no, right. But I can say, hey, have you seen anything that's made you uncomfortable? Because that's usually what happens. You know, they feel uncomfortable and then that can open up that um, dialogue because one of the things that you said was very true about our brain response. And that would be a motivation for parents to act sooner because teens are developing a brain, a pathway in their brain that is conditioned to respond to porn. And that pathway gets deconditioned over time. And the, the response is not more porn, but different porn. But if we intercept that earlier, it's much easier to do. So I think if you're struggling as an adult, have the courage to speak into your teen's life and disrupt that brain pathway so it's not as entrenched as yours is and they don't have that uh, burden that you carry. Right. I think it's good advice. Well, this is a really tough situation, but I hope if you're listening out there and this is something that you're struggling with, we've talked before about having a village, reaching out to someone trusted, whether that's a pastor or a friend or a family member or someone who's going to give you wise counsel. And I just pray right now, you know, Brian, 
uh, we've done this once before. I'm just motivated to ask you to um, to pray for the people who are struggling with this. Would you do that? Sure. Before we pray, just let me say you can be free of this. Uh, I know so many people who at 50 became free of their porno pornography addiction. And um, you can be. It's going to be work, but you can be free. And uh, I hope that you'll take uh, uh, hope in that, that you'll have peace in thinking about that. So let me pray. Uh, Father God, we come before you today as people who are really quick to satiate our own appetites and become addicted pretty easily. And uh, Father, we know um, that we need help beyond ourselves sometimes when we get stuck in addictive cycles that we can't get out of. And so, Father, I pray for everyone listening today, especially for the ones that are struggling with pornography and have shame and guilt associated with it, and probably depression, at least low level, in ways that uh, that they wouldn't if they weren't struggling with pornography. Would you bring them freedom? Would you bring them people in their pathway that they can actually talk to about this? Would you bring them help? Show them who to sit down with, who the right counselor is. Um, Father, give them the desire to be free. Um, help them not to buy the lie that they're just going to have to die in order to be free from this, but help them to know that they can be free from it right now. Uh, you have that power. And so as they turn to you and to others for help, I pray that you would bring freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that concludes episode 10. You made it. We made it. You are doing a great job, by the way. If you're hanging in here this long in this podcast series, it means you are deeply invested in your journey with your teen. And if you don't see dividends now, I want you to know they are there. Keep watering. Keep putting that plant in the sun. You'll see the seeds you've planted harvested in another season. We hope you join us next time. Here's your homework. Read Chapter 9 of Behind Closed Doors and do all the activities. Your legacy letter is an opportunity to affirm an edifying relationship in your teen's life. And find me on Spotify. Check out the Freedom-themed playlist. And last but not least, subscribe at drnursemama.com to access all the resources waiting for you. See you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. You can find Pastor Brian at brianhaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Haynes. Tune in next time and invite a friend.